Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. Our Father and our God, we come now, Lord, putting aside everything else, all the things of the week, all the things that the carnal life brings to us, all the things that the world puts before us, we put those aside now, and we ask that you would help us to turn our eyes solely upon Jesus. But when we look at him, oh, the glory and the, the power in his face takes away all the problems of the world. And so now we come looking for the blessings that only heaven can give in the precious and holy name of Jesus, and we thank you. Amen. 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 you turn with me in your Bibles to John 3.16. John 3.16, that's where we're going to go. That's the most well-known scripture in all of the Bible. It is the most popular people who know it in the church, people who are not Christians. When they say, can you think of a Bible verse? We are told that by the polls that this is the verse that is the most popular in all the world, John 3 and 16. It is a citadel verse. It is the central of so much things. It is actually a citadel of the scripture. It puts together uh, the messages that many, many men and women can bring are all told in this verse. And so this particular weekend, I am taking you on a four-part journey, a four-part journey. What did I say, folks? A four-part journey. We had the first part last night, and the first part of it, as we talk about the cross makes the difference, we explored love on the cross. Today, we're going to explore the purpose of the cross. This afternoon, when you come back with me, we're going to look at the power of the cross. And then tomorrow, we're going to look in the evening for our 7 o'clock, the place of the cross. So the cross is the theme here, and we're looking at it from four different points of view as we unpack it. And so today, we're going to look at uh, uh, the focus that is coming to us from the purpose of the cross. I'm in the scripture now, and I'm going to look at that verse You can quote it. You don't have to have your Bibles to see it. You know it very well. Let's say it all together, John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, you said that verse many times, and I noticed as sis got up, she led it for us today. You say it in, on, on a regular basis on Sabbath. We quote it many times, but I want you to see the surrounding verses that come up to it. So let's look in your scriptures now. We're in John 3. Let's go to verse 12. John 3 and verse 12, and we're going to reread what's, what our sister read for us earlier today as she led us in our scripture lesson. John 3, starting at verse 12. John 3 and 12. I want you to see the story that unfolds here. As I'm reading this, there is a word that should jump out to you. There's one word that I'm looking for. Uh, There are many words here, and they can be focused on depending upon the speaker and what God's spirit has led that person to see. But today, there's one word, and I want to see if that word jumps out to you as we go through these verses. I'm in John 3, starting at verse 12. If I have told you, if I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Jesus says, listen, I got things I could tell you, but you don't even believe the basic things. You don't even believe the things about the world. You don't even believe that I can help you with your bills and with the car and with that husband and that wife. You don't even believe the things about your children. You don't even believe that. So I can't even tell you about heavenly things, which are in a different realm. But he wanted to tell them. His heart was, he said, but you can't handle it. So God says, I want you to understand some things, and it takes us a little bit longer. And Jesus says, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. He was speaking of himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the the wilderness, 
even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He was talking there about the cross. He was looking ahead and he was telling them that I'll be lifted up above the earth on the cross. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up, the, and verse 15, that whatsoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. There's a word in all of those verses, almost every verse that was there, it jumps out to me. What's the word, sis? What's the word, folks? Believe. believe. You got it, didn't you? You see how believe changed everything in there? And so believe is the word that we have to understand. Last night, I talked about uh, uh, the, the love on the cross. And the love on the cross, we emphasize, to give you just a reca recap, just a little bit of small uh, reca recapping on what we talked about last night. Uh, we focused on the undeserving last night. And there was a group when Jesus was on the cross where he said, Father, forgive them, uh, for they know not what they do. In his mind, he was thinking of the whole world, of you and I and all of us, but he was focusing on one group. Those of you who were here last night, what was the group? Who was he thinking of? Who was he talking to specifically? The soldiers. The soldiers that treated him the worst, he was praying for at the, at the finest hour. The finest hour. You say, well, no, Jesus was dying. No, that was the finest hour. <laughs> you see, first, when I think about, think about Jesus on the cross, I say, no, Lord, I didn't want you to go to the cross. Don't go to the cross. Don't go through the agony and the pain. I said, no, Jesus, I don't want you to go through the cross. And as soon as I finished thinking about that, I said, yes, Jesus, I'm glad that you did go to the cross. Because had he not gone to the cross, I would not have an opportunity for salvation. I would not have an avenue to eternal life, and neither would you. So I'm glad that Jesus went to the cross. But when he was there, he was thinking, and his focus was on the soldiers. Today, now, I want to switch over. The focus is on those who are deserving. Wow, the deserving? Is anybody deserving of everlasting life? Are we deserving of everlasting life? No, of course not. We're not. We don't deserve everlasting life. How come we don't deserve everlasting life? Well, in Romans, we know what the word says in Romans 3 and 23. Romans 3 and 23, quote it with me. You don't have to find it. For all have sinned and come what? Short of, of what? The glory of God. All have sinned sin and come short of the glory of God. But the Bible is so wonderful because it tells us our problem, but it does not leave us there. It does not leave us in our problems. Now, Romans 6 and 23, Romans 6 and 23, and these gentlemen are fast. They've got it. Let's read it together. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal. Through, please don't forget through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the important part that is there. So we know that we all have sinned, and we know that we all are deserving of death, but we know that Jesus says you don't have to have death, but there's one word that will make the difference, and that word is believe. You see, once you are a believer, it does not now qualify you for heaven. Because you are a believer, that doesn't mean that you qualify. You, you earned heaven. No, not at all. 
But once you become a believer, what you do is you put yourself in place. You position yourself to now receive what God has for you. <laughs> Go to Ephesians 2 and verse 8. You position yourself, Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9. You position yourself to receive what God has for you. Familiar scripture. Let's read this on the screen. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. All right, I want you to go to verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, a question, and leave it right there. Don't change the screen. Are we saved by our faith? Doesn't our faith save us? Are we saved by faith? No. How many say yes, we're saved by faith? Doesn't our faith save us? You're not saved by faith? What are we saved by? By grace and grace only. Why? Grace is a gift, and that's all that you and I can do is position ourselves to receive the gift of God. Now, when you go to your job and you work eight hours and you put in your time and you work and you do what you're supposed to, you fulfill your responsibility, then you go to your boss and you say, I have earned my time. I have earned my pay. I qualify for what I have done these last eight hours. We can never go to God and say, I have qualified. I have earned this eternal life. We cannot do that. <laughs> it's in such a different category that God says, I will simply offer it to you. All you have to do is believe. And when you believe, you put yourself in position. As I like to say, when you believe, you put yourself in position to receive. I'm glad I see so many young people here, all these young people here that are, are here, of these young, having young babies and everything. You say, oh, we're not, I'm not young. I'm 30. I'm 40. I'm 44. You're young to me, all right? So you are still young. And so then you are in a position where you can receive, but you have to position yourself. And as you're having children and raising young families and coming along, you must realize the importance of putting yourself in position to receive all the blessings that heaven has for you. So I want you to know you've got to believe. Believing is a prerequisite. What word did I say, folks? A prerequisite. It is a prerequisite to accepting grace, and that's what we have to do. So today I want to share with you very quickly as I go along here a three particular points that we want to get out of the message today, three points that I want you to get today. Number one, I want you to know that uh, as we go through this, this, this series on the cross makes the difference, the cross is going to make salvation available to all who believe. I want you to know it's the cross that makes us and allows us and opens salvation, eternal life to us. Number two, I want you to see that the cross was to open the eyes of the universe. I didn't say for people, not for me, of the universe. Wait until we see how that unfolds. Number three, it is to vindicate God's name forever. The cross is to do these three things. Let's take a few minutes and look at each one of them as we unfold them. Number one, it is supposed to unfold for us salvation. We have talked about that a little bit in John 3.16. Let's go to the verse and look at it, John 3.16. John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever wants to be or feels like they should be uh, uh, can enter heaven and should not perish and will have everlasting life. Is that what it said? No. Not at all. Not at all. It says very clearly that whosoever believeth. What do I mean believe? Well, believe is a word that can be interpreted in a lot of ways. The Greek term for believe comes from the word pesteo, and you will see that believe means to accept or to trust in or to have faith on, to be convinced of thoroughly. In the Greek, it has a root word that lends itself to the word lean. So it says when you believe, you will lean on it. 
you put all of your confidence in. You lean on that thing or that situation or whatever it is. And in this case, we learn to believe in Jesus. We, believe, we learn to believe in the cross. We lean. We put our weight. We put our trust in it. And you and I must learn that today we have to be able to believe in order to position ourselves to receive. Number two, I want to tell you something about the cross because the cross is so important. And we know the cross is important to us, but the cross is important to the entire universe. Brothers and sisters, Satan was so skillful in heaven that he was able to convince a third of angels. These were beings of light. These were intelligent beings, and they were in the very presence. They were in the presence of God. But in a book called Desire of Ages on, 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 on page 83, in a book called Desire of Ages on page 83, it talks about something. No, I don't want that one now. I don't want that one. Don't put it up. I don't want 83 now. No, no. I'm just going to tell you something. On page 61, it actually talks about what I want to give now. I'll come to 83 later. But on page 61, it says that Satan, when he was in heaven, he was in the very presence of God. It says that he understood God. Listen to this. Satan, in the form of Lucifer at that time, understood God like no other created being. The spirit of prophecy says that he absorbed so much of God's light. He was so close to his presence that he understood God and experienced God himself like no other created being. He brought in so much light that God had Lucifer to do important things in heaven that no other angel was allowed to do. It said that Lucifer understood God's holiness, his love, his kindness, his compassion, his power. He had all of it. He actually absorbed Shekinah light in his presence. So that when Lucifer left God the Father's presence, he brought an unusual light to the other angels. It says that he, like no other created being, experienced God. And he's the very one who turned. Now, when he did, I want you to know in heaven, he didn't go around and just start a fight. You know, the Bible says there was war in heaven. Isn't that right? Revelations, it tells you there was war in heaven. And so somebody was, oh, there was a battle in heaven. But what Satan did was he went around and he just planted doubt. He went to the other angels and he did not say, you know, God has, and he did not accuse God. This is what he did. He went to the other angels and he says, you know, um, I understand that. It's possible that God has a law. There's a law in heaven. And then he would leave. He said, yeah, yeah, I, 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 God, has, there's, there's some rules that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. So a law in heaven. This started the other beings to thinking, and they began to wonder. That planted enough doubt in them to begin to say, is God holding something back from us? And he continued to plant that until the time when man, was, man came into existence and when God created Adam and he brought him out of that dust and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And from that point on, Satan had a doubt, of, a seed of doubt planted in the minds of the angels. Now, we know that he planted doubt in the, in the minds of that one third of the angels that fell with him. We know that. Isn't it right? Because they followed him. What about the other two-thirds of the angels? What would you think? They understood God and they remained loyal in heaven. We, we know that. Isn't that right? 
Now I want you to pull up for me, Errol, if you pull up the first one, that is in Desire of Ages 750, the one 758. I want you to look at this statement here. And I'm going to pull it up myself so I can see it for you. It's very small there, but I'm going to read it for you. I want this to be read. I want you to see something. It's amazing what happened here. Because in heaven, while everything was going on, and this is in Desire of Ages, and it's on page 758. It's small print, so I don't know if he can expand it, but I'm going to just read it for you. Listen to this. We know that Satan in, he, in heaven, that he had deceived one-third of the angels. But what about the other two-thirds of the angels? And what about unfallen worlds? There are worlds that are unfallen. There are beings that never sinned. Listen to what I read to you. To the angels and the unfallen worlds, the cry, it is finished, had deep significance. It was for them as well as for us the great work of redemption that had been accomplished. They with us share the fruits of Christ's victory. So there are beings in other worlds who when they sat and they looked over the annals of heaven and they watched the drama being played out in Gethsemane and when they saw Jesus on the cross and he said, it is finished, it was significant for them as well. But you would think and I would think in our minds, certainly they were surely on the side of God all the time, but not so. Listen to this next paragraph. Not until the death of Christ was the character of Satan clearly revealed to the angels or to the unfallen worlds. The archapostate had so clothed himself with deception that even holy angels had not understood his principles. They had not clearly seen the nature of his rebellion. Do you know that all the way up until Jesus was on the cross, there was some doubt still in the mind? It was until Jesus was on that cross, the cross made the difference. When Jesus was on the cross and when they saw how hideous and how, 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 how horrible and how evil Satan really was, then they said, look at this character, and they began to see who Satan really was. And then they also saw at the same time Christ. They knew Christ in heaven. They knew the power that he had. And they were wondering why would he let himself come down to lowly men. But they began to see a principle that even they did not fully understand, and it is the principle of love. I heard pastor this morning mention sin. Don't trouble yourself trying to figure out sin. You'll lose your mind trying to figure it out and give you a good definition of it. Oh, yes, we know that it is a transgression of the law. But to understand the mystery behind it, why would Lucifer in the light of God? Oh, but, you know, we know that love is the answer. Love is why Christ said, if man should sin, I will go and I will die for him. It was the, a being of wonderful power and glory that had set himself against God. Satan himself, Lucifer, said that I, I, I will stand in the place of God. I will stand in the place of the most holy and of the most high. I want you to know that Satan is so deceptive, folks. He fooled the angels all the way up until Jesus was on the cross. Then they truly saw who and what he was like. So I want you to know that Satan is an enemy that you cannot overcome. So why are you still battling him? You need to run to the hand of Jesus. Run to the big brother. Run to the one who can handle him. Because you can't handle him, but Jesus handles him with a word. <laughs> in, in the book of Jude, he says, I'm not going to argue with you. He says, just, just, I'm not arguing with you. He turns his back on him in one word, and Jesus can deal with him. And in heaven, when he told him to go, he had to go. So number two, I want you to know that the eyes of the universe were opened at the cross. 
It was the cross that opened the eyes of the universe. Angels and, it says, beings in unfallen worlds. Number three, and I want you to do this. I'm coming to a close here, number three. But before we go there, there was one person who, who began to believe. And because of his belief, his belief now shows us something in the face of others who do not believe. This is on, on, on a person that I want you to, to look in the Bible at. You know his name is Simeon. Go to Luke, the second chapter. Luke, the second chapter in the book of Luke. In Luke, the second chapter. I want you to see this briefly. In Luke 2. Luke, the second chapter, verse 25, Luke 2 and 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. The spirit of prophecy says he had the gift of prophecy. We say, oh, the gift of prophecy was given to E.G. Yes, it was given to more than that. Enoch had the gift of prophecy. Simeon had the gift of prophecy. There are others who had the gift of prophecy. And it said it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he would see the Lord's Christ. And he was the one who looked for the Messiah to come. And so uh, when the Messiah came, do you know how, how, how Simeon knew this? Look at the story here. I'm in Luke 2, and I'm in verse 27 now. And it came to him in the spirit of the temple that when the parents brought in Jesus, the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, and Lisa and Isaiah, I hope that you are following me now because this is exactly what you just did. Verse 27, he came and he said it was the custom of the law. It was a customary uh, practice at that time in the Jewish economy that you bring the children, especially the boys, had to be brought before the Lord. And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. The baby Jesus was brought before the priest. And the priest was to do a dedication very similar to what you just saw this pastor do standing here. And it was customary to bring those boys before the Lord. And do you know that in the book Desire of Ages, I've been re referencing this book Desire of Ages. I want to stop and ask you, how many of you have this book called The Desire of Ages? Raise your hand. You have this book called The Desire of Ages. You see. All right, now, now watch this, Pastor. And I want you to be honest. How many of you do not have the book called The Desire? You don't have it. Raise your hand. Please be honest with me. You do not have the book The Desire of Ages. You need to have this book. It explains the life of Christ. In the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., they have a file in a separate area where they are to read and they're, they're actually to examine every book that's in print. And they have one section that they have to examine, all books written on the life of Christ. This book in the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., they said this is the best book ever written on the life of Christ. And it is there, and they said this book gives a better insight and explains it thoroughly. That's because this book is inspired. <laughs> And so if you don't have it in your home, you need to have it. Back to my story. So the priest took the baby Jesus. And it says that as the priest looked at the baby Jesus, it says that he was going to, of course, uh, 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 do the same process in the dedication for him. You can look in Desire of Ages, page 52 to 55, Pastor, because you're right on it. And here's the thing that I want you to get. When the parents came, Mary and Joseph because they looked like humble people and they had on normal clothes, they weren't dressed fancy, they didn't have an entourage with them, they were just poor people. He could see very quickly these are just poor people and they have a poor son. Let me just go ahead and do this dedication and get it over with. And it said that the priest did not realize that he had Jesus in his hands. It said the priest 
did not understand that he had the Savior of the world in his arms. And so as the priest received that baby, Simeon standing on the side, it says the Holy Spirit lit him up. And pastor, he said, that is the child. He went to him and he asked to have that child and he received that baby. He pulled that baby just like I saw that grandmother. She came right in here. She went straight to that child and she did not even ask him for the. She took that baby. Simeon said, bring me this child for now I have seen the salvation of Israel. Simeon was a believer. My brothers and sisters, you have to have a special insight. God wants to give you something like that. God wants to give you the power where you look and you see things, where you see more than the other. This was a priest who did this all day long and said he took that child like every other child and did the blessing. He didn't realize he just passed along the Savior of the world. But because Simeon had the Spirit of God, and I'm telling you today, if you allow the Spirit of God to take place in you what he wants to do, you will have that insight also. You will see things that others don't see. You will understand things that other people do not understand. And so it was that Simeon said, this is the Savior. And he said, now I can go ahead and die. I can die in peace. I can go now because I have seen the salvation. I know what will happen. And so then we know that God blessed him. He said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy will, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Brothers and sisters, there's a different level that God wants to take his people. I'm telling you, we're missing a lot. We miss a lot because we're not true believers. Simeon was a real believer. And all that was going around, everybody else, no one was believing. But Simeon had placed himself, he put himself in position to receive. And so he did receive. So he was deserving of what he was able to receive. That was the gift. He did not earn it. He did not qualify. Don't get that mixed up. But he put himself in position to receive. And so then he received from God what he had for him. I want you to know that God has a will today. Since Second Peter three nine, Second Peter three nine, I give you the scriptures. You have, I don't know. I don't know what you all's experience with churches. I'm an old school. When I went to church, we read the scriptures. Amen. Amen. Oh, I got about eight amens out of that. <laughs> I got about eight or nine. Go with me to Second Peter. Second Peter. Three, and I'll tell you why I read the scriptures. I read the scriptures, and I want to read it from the Bible because, Pastor, I'm not sure myself. And I don't want, I, I want you to hear the word of God. I don't want you to hear Pastor Ashford, amen? You need to hear, thus saith the Lord. Let us read it together. We're looking at this on the screen there, Second Peter 3, 9. Let's read it together. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us all. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come. This is God's will for you. He says, I'm not willing that anybody perish, not even one. I don't want you to perish. I want you to have everlasting life. I don't want you to perish. But what happens is too many people just don't believe. They won't believe. They won't accept what God extends. He makes it so simple, so easy for us. You don't need money or special qualifications. You don't need to be this tall or that short. Or you, ha you don't have to have a back background or a family line. You don't have to come from money. You just have to believe and position yourself to receive. And so then God said, if you will, I have a blessing for you. So number one, the cross makes salvation available to all. For God so loved the world that whosoever. That's all. Number two, the cross opened the eyes of the universe, the unfallen angels, the unfallen worlds and the angels. Number three, Philippians 2, 
Go to Philippians 2 and verse 8. And this is our closing. I'm moving toward a close. I always say, you may remember me saying this before. I'm moving toward my close now. Is that all right? I'm moving to my close. Now, remember, I told you, you may remember this. I told you this before. When a pastor says he's moving toward his close, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's true. I'm moving that direction. But I, I didn't say how long it would take me to get there. Right. So I'm just moving. I'm, I'm moving that way. Amen. All right. So let's go ahead. We're moving toward a close. Amen. Now I'm in Philippians, the second chapter, Philippians 2. I want you to see this. Philippians 2, 8 through 11, 8 through 11. Philippians 2. And being found, it says, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the what? The death of the cross. Watch the cross surfaces all the time. Verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. This is the third thing and the final thing that the cross is going to do. That the cross will do. Now you're looking at verse 10. And at the name of Jesus. Read it with me now. Help me out. Every knee shall bow. Of the things where? In heaven. Of the things where? In earth. And the things where else? Under the earth. You ain't even heard about that. And keep going. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Let the church say amen. That's what the cross does. That's the third thing the cross does. The cross will vindicate the name of God forever. And all those lies and all that deception that Satan planted even in heaven and came down to earth and came to mankind and is still here to lie today, it will be put all to the grave. It will be gone and the name of God will be vindicated forever through Jesus Christ and what was done on the cross. The cross makes the difference. The cross will make the difference in those who you see today, those who live on the earth. And the cross makes the difference for the angels in heaven and for those in unfallen worlds. Whenever I see that in scripture, it just makes me, you know, pastor, that just intrigues me. The unfallen worlds, beings who never sinned. But they look down and it says they watch with intense, intense. They were intrigued by the story of Jesus on earth. And the cross. My brothers and my sisters, God wants you and I to realize that he just wants what's best for us. You can come to the instrument now, my brother. We're getting ready to, to bring it inward. The cross makes the difference. The cross makes the difference in your life. The cross makes the difference in your job. It should. The cross makes a difference in your family. The cross should make a difference in your marriage. The cross should make a difference in your thinking. The cross should make a difference in your health. We're going to talk about that this evening. I hope you'll come back. We're going to talk about that this evening. The cross should make the difference in your life if you let it because it brings a principle that overrides all other principles. And it's simple. Salvation is simple. It's not, it's not complicated. Man came. Man sinned, broke the law, became a sinner. Jesus said, I'll come and die. Man simply has to accept the beautiful gift. And if he does, we're promised everlasting life. We're promised eternal life. We're promised a time, my brother, where there's no pain. In fact, in heaven, I'll be out of a job. I won't be able to, I won't need to bring pain medicine. <laughs> There'll be no pain. There'll be no death. There'll be no loss. 
just be howdy, howdy, and hello all day long. It'll just be wonderful times. It'll be be happy, don't worry. It will be a wonderful time in heaven. It will be a time for us to raise children. Oh, yes, children, there'll be children there. Don't get me started on that now, all right? But they will grow up in the admonition of God. And the light will come from Jesus himself. And we're told that that light will shine. And when he raises his hand, you can read about it and look at it in, in Revelation 22, that the glory will still show through the palms. And last night I wanted to correct it too. The hand is part of the, 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 the Greeks put the hand and the wrist, right? All that part together. So Jesus' hands will always bear the mark of the cross. Oh, my brothers and sisters, what a wonderful opportunity that we have. Whether you're a member of the church or not, you need to understand that Jesus died for you. And today as I'm coming now, I'm going into what is called an appeal. I'm going to have a short word of prayer, and then I'm going to give an appeal. An appeal is a personal time, so I want you to be listening. I want your heart to be open to that. Would you bow your heads with me for a brief word of prayer? Dear Father in heaven, I thank you so much for what you have done. Lord, you did not have to do what you did. You went to the cross. You did not have to do it. You stood before beings that you brought into existence and you took all that the cross gave, the shame, the evil, the pain, the blood, the misuse, the abuse. You took it for me. You took it for everybody in this room. And you did it willingly, willfully. You did it because you did not have to. But you said, thy will, not mine, to the Father. And then you thought about me. And you thought about everyone sitting in this room, and you said, I will go. For that, we thank you today. We give you praise, the honor, and the glory. Now we pray that you will be with us and help us to position ourselves to show our belief by our behavior, to position ourselves to receive the wonderful gift that you extend to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you received anything from the word of God today, would you say amen? Now I want to bring an appeal, and my appeal is in different parts. You see, there are those who you appeal to who have never any given their lives to Christ. And someone may be here today and say, you know, I, I've never really given my life to Christ. Yes, I've been in churches. I've been here. I've been there. But I have never come up front and said, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Now is that opportunity. Now to the saints, those of you in the church, do you know what you're supposed to be doing now? You're supposed to be automatically trained to go into what? prayer you should be praying right now you've made your decision years ago but you ought to be whispering prayer saying holy spirit move on somebody here somebody needs to make a decision today somebody's been toying with it they've been in the world they know their life is not what it should be and they're toying with giving their life to jesus somebody may be here today this is your time i want you to just wave your hand if you're saying i want to give my life to jesus just wave your hand i want to give my life to christ today and I want to do it. I want to join church today. If there's somebody here today, you want to join church and you want to worship God just like they worship him here at Saving Grace. This is your time period. I'm not going to hold it long. The Holy Spirit is talking to you saying, yes, I need to make that decision. You can come on, make that decision now. There'll be time. The pastor will come and get your hand. There'll be Bible studies for you. Someone will help you along the way. You'll work out all the details. But you need to make the decision. Yes, I need to join church. If that's your decision. We're holding for you while the Holy Spirit works on your heart. Is there anyone here who will respond to that? While that part of the appeal is still out there, my sister, do I see a hand? Is there someone who says, yes, Lord, I need to make a decision today? If it's there, raise that hand and just raise your hand. We'll bring somebody to you. If you can't come, we'll have somebody come to you. 
Somebody saying, well, I know the spirit is working on me, but it's just not right now. While I continue to talk, if the spirit impresses you, you raise your hand nice and high and someone will I'll come to you. We will come to you. I know this pastor, he'll get up and come to you wherever you are. If there's somebody who that is impressed upon your heart while we are praying. The next part of it is for those of you who have made your decision. You're members of the church. You're members of this church right here, right now. But you know that you need to do something about the way your behavior has been. Oh, mercy, I'm bringing it home now. You know that your behavior has not put you in position as a true believer. And today you want to correct that. Maybe you've fallen by the wayside for one reason or another. It's nobody's business. But you're saying, Lord, I want to rededicate myself. I want to reconsecrate myself today. That's what this part of the appeal is for. It's not for you to jump up and confess a sin. No, 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 no. That's not what this is about. This is for you to rededicate yourself. Paul said that he dies. Do you remember how many times Paul said he died? He said, I die what? Daily. Paul said, I got to die every day. I got to kill this man, Paul, every day and give myself over to life and rededicate myself daily. I have to dedicate myself daily. Today, I want to know if there are those of you here who say, yes, I want to rededicate myself today. Just raise your hand if you say, I want to rededicate today. Let me see your hands. Reconsecrate, rededicate. Saints, I got to tell you, every hand in here should be up. If you say, no, I'm all right, Pastor, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just waiting for dinner. I'm good. If you want to rededicate yourself, my brother, he got his hand up. He waved. He said, I know I'm rededicating myself to the Lord. Say amen, brother. Say amen over there. Amen. When I said his hand, when he said, I know I need to. And listen, I'm preaching it. I got both of mine. I need to rededicate myself to the Lord. If you want to rededicate today and you want to reconsecrate, stand with me. Let me see you stand to your feet. Yes, Lord, I'm rededicating myself to you today. Now, the first part of my appeal is still out there. There may be somebody who says, yes, I need to give my life to the Lord. I need to join church today. Pastor Harding is ready. If that person is there, while we're all standing, we're standing to help you. If you raise your hand, someone will come to you if that's what you want. Pastor Harding is preparing to come and pray our closing prayer. He's preparing to come and close this out in our closing prayer. While he's doing so, remember both of those appeals are out there. Those of us who are standing, we're rededicating ourselves. We're reconsecrating ourselves. That's all right. We've got to do that. We need to do that. And then the appeal is still open if there's someone who says, I want to give my life to Christ today. Pastor, come and pray for us. Dear Jesus, thank you for extending to us another invitation. An invitation to become a part of your family. Oh God, we want to thank you for the word, the message that has heightened our consciousness that we are in need of Jesus. We want to thank you, oh God, that your word has gone forth and it will never return unto you void. So we know now, at this very moment, that someone is responding to the call to come to Jesus. Father, I ask you now, right now, that you will enter anew in our hearts,
quicken our awareness, touch our consciences, and Lord, whisper gently and quietly in our ears, come home, come home. You are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, I am calling, come home. And so now, Lord, we have come, and we rededicate ourselves to you. Take us just as we are. Work on us, O oh God. Continue your work in our hearts and in our lives. And we pray that finally, we will walk in the kingdom of God. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is working through this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email at podcast at savinggracesda.org. As the Holy Spirit impresses you, you may also support this ministry financially by visiting savinggracesda.org.